Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of... Hey, who said it the last time? Because I wasn't here to say Beneath the Screen uh, of no the one. Critics. No one stepped up. Oh. No one could replace you. Oh. It's because I have a lisp. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> the reason. The podcast hosted by the guy with an actual speech impediment said, No, you have a lisp, therefore you can't do a funny voice. Uh, hi, everyone. We're here to talk about movies. <laughs> actual speech impediment it's a valid right, it's, speech it's not, okay look this is not an impediment measuring contest i i misspoke you know what i mean all right so wait are you giving are you giving jeremiah shit because he's he, because he doesn't hear well enough to notice your lisp i honestly never even this noticed is getting until you said something nobody does she doesn't have a pronounced <laughs> lisp it's all in her head um actually in my mouth which is in <laughs> your head, part of your head. Um, <laughs> we're talking about movies this is uh it's october we have, we're talking about october we have movies. a first for beneath the screen on this episode Fat mm. and care picked both movies and they managed mm-hmm. to pick two movies i had never seen before what, what? i'm i'm shocked that you yeah that's i am shocked legitimately I thought you had seen at least Crimson. It's Peak. the one Del Toro movie I hadn't seen. Can I can I tell you? Uh, can I can I tell you a dark secret, what? Jeremiah? I still haven't seen The Shape of Water. Okay. I, I yep, feel I, I feel terrible about that. I just missed it and haven't that, caught it. That's yet. fine. I hadn't seen Crimson Peak, and that is terrible. <laughs> and I judge you. So, true story, uh, I wear a lot of alternative fashion, and there's a dress that looks very much like the nightgown she wears at the end of Crimson Peak, and I've been hunting for that dress for four or five years, and I have not been able to find it yet. So, the minute the dress comes up for sale... It doesn't come stained with blood, but I'm sure she will find a way. Yeah, like, I want the red version of it, so it's like the blood. I want you to know I thought of you a lot watching Crimson Peak, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you got my energy? Yes, you understand. It was like, all of these uh, dresses she wants and has all worn. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. so so the movies we're discussing, as Jeremiah said, uh, are uh, the uh, the 2015 gothic romance film, as described by Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> Crimson Peak by Guillermo del Toro. And the, uh, when did the other 2001. Others? 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was... Yeah, directed by Alejandro Amnibar. That came out when I was still working at Movie Gallery. Oh, okay. What's interesting is both of these are some of my favorite, um, like horror, horror, ghost, scary movie genre films of all time. Because I normally don't like scary movies. I'm too easy to startle. So it's like. They make you very anxious. It seems that basically what you're saying is that you love a good gothic ghost story. Yeah, but these are two of my very favorite, like, scary movies of all time. And it's interesting that they're both both Spanish films, in a way, because uh, one, the others actually won, I think, a Goya, Uh, because it's it's a Spanish film. It's an English-language Spanish film. Yeah, the Chilean, I think, isn't he? Or is he... Yeah. And then Del Toro speaks English fluently, but he is uh, a, a Mexican... A Mexican person and has done several Spanish language films himself. Yeah. Um, so both of these have like strong. Apparently, Spanish apparently, Kara and I both like without conferring about our our ideas on this at like before we made the movie selections, just 
really like uh, heavily like Spanish culture influenced uh, gothic period. horror movies. <laughs> period. In, like period horror gothic movies. horror movies. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. a, there's a weird debate that happens every year in the horror community yeah. about what consists a horror film. And there's this weird mm-hmm. thing that for a lot of horror movie buffs, that if it's not scary or if it's not bloody, it is somehow not a horror movie. I don't yeah. agree with well, that. I would argue that always... Crimson, the Crimson Peak is both bloody and scary. But like that's if it's if it has to be bloody and scary, then there haven't been any hor- then horror would have had to be a genre invented in like the seventies because you couldn't <laughs> oh, show in America cinema explicit. I mean, yeah. Well, I, well, I feel, also, what I feel they're like... aiming at is they have to be scared, and I think horror movies have a lot of scares in them. But really, the base of a horror movie or the thrust of one is the fact that. There's a sense of unease. Mm, mm. The creepy exactly. dread. Yeah, honestly, I think I think people who talk about wanting to be scared are actually, by and large, at least the people that I don't <laughs> like, uh, when they say they want to be scared by a horror movie, what they mean is they want to be startled or they want to be shocked. But like the kind of horror that that I mean, obviously, I'm also a huge fan of like body horror stuff. The the the. I'm gonna say, yeah, and, I, I absolutely am, but there's also more to those than just the, oh, the weird, gross nonsense. But I mean, I would say... which is why I don't watch a lot of other body horror because I feel like too much of it leans in the shock direction. But like the, I, I feel like gothic horror is a very good litmus test for what someone wants from a horror movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, Get Out was definitely a horror movie, and I am kind of alone in that. Like, I don't see really? it described. Yeah, I don't see it described as a horror yeah, film. When they first came out, there was a lot of uh, debate among especially white horror fans about whether or not it was a horror movie. Hmm. What, oh, hold on. <laughs> Gatekeeping by, like, a, a, a especially white section of a, a fan. I know, right? I don't, Jeremiah. It, Jeremiah, come on. I, I, I do want to defend, though, people that, like, define this very narrow definition of horror as a genre, but they're not hmm. demeaning towards other films. Like, okay, so horror has to have A, B, C, D, and that's a horror film, but there are scary films and thrillers and slashers and, like, yeah. all these other I mean, genres it's... that I respect as well. It's just yeah. this is the way I divide the genre based on these arguments. So like as somebody who like participates in a lot of subcultures that have a lot of very narrowly focused rules, I see why people do that as Mm. long as they're not cruel or demeaning towards things that fall, you know, in liminal spaces or out of the genre, as long as they're not like, well, the others can't be a good scary movie because it doesn't fit the specific definition I've created for horror. The others is baller. (laughs) <laughs> I, I feel do. like it's i feel like it comes around to that like prescriptivist versus descriptivist sort yeah. of thing in language just like the creating you can't make a hard category for it like you you can but there will always be things that that will feel like it should be there even though it doesn't check all the boxes on your particular well, like, you've list. heard me talk about this online on twitter like i may i recently watched um la Llorona, the um Guatemalan remake. Oh, how was that? That was how amazing. Was that? It was fantastic. Oh, we should look See, that I'm up. Not, I, I don't know it's, if it's, I can. It's very much oh, yeah. like the others of Crimson Peak. It's much more okay. of a gothic, not a period piece, but it's much more of a mm. gothic toned down. It's a ghost. They re, they tweak the legend of La Llorona to where she's essentially an avenging wraith, and the monster is a genocidal dictator. Oh, okay, yeah. So. Oh, so that's that. That really gives me like early uh, Del Toro. Not vibes only that, there. but like, it's sort of uh, nice to see a family of 
powerful, wealthy, uh, murderous uh, bastards get some kind of justice. Mm. <laughs> no projection going on there, but you know. Yeah, no, Before fine. we go any further, can I can can I give very quick rundowns? I promise, very quick oh. rundowns go on ahead. these two movies. No, I was I was gonna say we should probably. <laughs> yeah, we are eight minutes in. Okay, so very quickly, the others. There is one thing that I want to draw a quick circle around both of these films I think is important. Both of these films um, have more women than men in lead roles and lean very heavily towards a woman or girl's perspective. Mm -hmm. So that's very nice. I do want to point out they're both very, very white. Very white. There is only one like black person in these movies and it is a maid that has less than like 30 seconds of screen time. So just... Mm -hmm. FYI, but I really love them. Um, so the others. Oh, uh, actually, can I? Can I what? hold on? I'm sorry. This is important. I'm not just screwing with you. <laughs> okay. If you don't know anything about the others, go and watch it. Don't listen to us right now. Just yes. go and watch it. I'm not a so, spoilers guy, but like I knew because I I absorb popular culture like a sponge. I knew about the general plot of the others, even though this was also the first time I had seen it. I had not seen this uh, before either. Uh, Honestly, that's the only thing I knew but, about uh, the others was because when I worked yeah. at the video store, that was like the huge discussion was the twist. Yeah, of, course, of course it was. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, it's still great. And even uh, it's still a, an excellent movie, even if you know what the deal is. But if you don't know anything about it, highly recommend it. If you like a good ghost story, if you like a, just a, a slow burn, like sort of paranoid thriller that then you realize over time, like, oh, it is su- there is supernatural. So like, it's really good. I, I say, uh, take a pause, the pause, the podcast, watch it and then come back. Right, so so spoilers spoilers <laughs> i saw the others in the theater and nearly crapped myself so please go see it stop go see Very it good. come back all right so for those who have seen it but can't remember the others uh open to the title cards saying that it takes place at the end of world war ii there is a woman what 1945 yeah okay same difference. There is a glad you used up ten seconds on that. There is a woman <laughs> and her two children that live in a giant manor house that has no electricity because quote the Germans keep cutting it, so we just learn to live without it. Both of her children have some sort of unspecified disorder where they cannot be exposed to bright light and certainly not sunlight, or they will blister and die. There are many real people that have illnesses like this, so there's a cool disability component. And some people show up at the door saying that they would like to be the servants. She mentions that all of the servants have deserted them and that she's at wit's end. She's initially suspicious of these servants who have showed up at her door, but then they explain that they worked in the house many years ago and they just wanted to see if anyone was hiring. Uh, Over the course of this, uh, her two children, Nicholas and Anne, uh, the mother character, I forget her name, uh, is played by Nicole Kidman. Grace. Grace is somewhat obsessed with the Bible and God. Anne is somewhat spiteful, disobedient, and difficult, and Nicholas is a crybaby. Uh, (laughs) Slowly, strange things begin to happen. Anne claims she sees figures in the house. Grace begins to see them as well. Nicholas panics. The servants, who are initially helpful and friendly, become cold and distant. More and more things go bizarrely wrong until Grace, after denying it could be possible because God wouldn't allow it, finally accepts there are probably ghosts in her house that are frightening her and tormenting her children, and she is most afraid of the curtains, the dark curtains there are throughout the house being removed. So there's this really cool element where all of the scenes are very, very dark and all of the doors are always locked to keep the children away from the light that will kill them. 
She finally decides she's going to go into the village to meet a priest where on the way she meets her husband who has returned from the front. He is immensely disturbed and clearly deeply into what at the time we now call post-traumatic stress disorder, but at the time would have probably been called shell shock. Yeah. Played by played by Christopher Eccleston, the most haunted looking man you can find. <laughs> Besides you. And uh, there's this theme that something terrible happened between Grace and her children. That her ch- She has done something to them. Uh, at some point, her husband discusses this at some length with Grace. They have a very intimate moment. Grace weeps that she's afraid that he went to war because he no longer wants to be with her, which he doesn't deny in voice, but he does kiss her and weep himself, indicating that even if it's true, he regrets it. And then he is gone in the morning. They wake up and all of the curtains are gone. The children are screaming. Things slowly build to a crescendo where they realize the servants who have been in the house are, in fact, dead ghosts. They go, uh, the children flee into a room where they find out there is a seance being held and that they are, in fact, dead. The others who have been haunting the house are the living people that have moved into the house. And you realize that the war that he went to, that her husband went to, is probably World War One, and that they have been dead for over a quarter century. It ends with them realizing they are dead, that they can now step into the sunlight, that they do not know if they are in purgatory, if there is a heaven or hell, but they proclaim that the house is theirs as the living people flee. Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. Yeah, no. Um, it's, uh, I didn't pick up on the World War One thing, though, but... Oh yeah, all the clothes. I mean, because the referring to it as the front was one of the things that really tipped it for me. Also, like a little bit how um, Eccleston's like right. coat looked was a little bit more. Yeah, his too. uniform, his coat, the rucksack he carried, um, the way they talk about electricity, some of the plumbing, definitely some of the garments they were wearing in the structure, the length of them, uh, the nightgowns the children were wearing. But it is all... also one of those things that because it's a movie, and also because like. You know, it's it's a uh, gothic right. movie. And it's yeah, the, the, those those lines could are, are are sort of good ways of blurring it, especially like since this was a Hollywood, like it was uh, an English language movie, and you know we don't know right. history, so it's fine. It's a it's a yeah. good uh, shell game. Uh, I mean, t- to me, it, it it strongly strongly suggests that he died in World War One, not World War Two. Yeah, I I just presumed yeah. that. No, no. Mm-hmm. Once you said it, I was like, oh yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> Because it's because they they refer to it as the war and and talk about fighting the Germans and it's one of those things that well, like yeah. oh you tricky little here's the big thing is at the very beginning Anne says Daddy is fighting in the Great right. War yeah yeah and World War One is the right. Great War yeah which uh, I remember when I saw it like 19 years ago I was like why would you call World War Two the Great War no one because it was that, great. But... Yes, good time. <laughs> good time for everybody. And then Crimson Peak, which I adore. So the others is extremely, extremely well made, extremely beautiful, extremely beautiful sets. But it's not luscious. It's a bit spare well, it's, it's and a very bit naturalistic cold. for a like yeah. even for a gothic movie. Like it's it's set in a manor house, but like everything about it is very grounded. Yeah, as as somebody that like my grandparents collected antiques and know all about period garments and clothing and stuff, it's very. I mean, it, because it's a movie, they're all a little bit prettier and done up a little bit better. Mm. But it's very real. It's very much like clearly pulled from photographs mm. of everyday people and their everyday clothing, as opposed to Crimson Peak, which would be people in the best clothing <laughs> they'd ever worn in their life <laughs> suddenly spread out amongst. When this everyday. was like the old yeah. like so, logical and then. Hammer films, like in terms of like set design and how they dress. 
Yeah, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna have a time with this design. <laughs> yeah, Crimson Peak is a Del Toro film, which means it is beautiful. It has beautiful colors. All of the gore is very grounded and very real. Almost all of the special effects are practical. There are several uh, bloody ghosts in this movie. Mm. And I thought they were all CGI, and I was really disappointed no. in that. And it turns <laughs> out, watch it carefully, there are several ghosts. And all of the ghosts have this kind of like black smoke that comes off of them. And Del Toro's like, oh, the black smoke is yeah. CGI. Yeah. But the, but the ghosts are practical yeah, effects. Yeah, them are people. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you can't see me it's like tap twice on the chest peace sign del toro my boy like practical <laughs> effects all the way um so crimson peak begins with a young girl named edith edith uh opens with a narration that as a small child she saw the ghost of her dead mother warn her about crimson peak we go forward in time edith wishes to write a novel she is independent minded and has a friend alexander who is a doctor who's clearly interested in her and she's not as interested in he is she's also has a deep emotional relationship with her father who is very wealthy and very kind a baronet whatever that is and his sister show up asking her their dad her dad for investment money for something in their english manner um her father is very distrustful of him but edith begins to fall in love after a beautiful dance scene with the interesting and enigmatic thomas and his strange sister lucy who constantly off out of earshot make grim talk amongst <laughs> themselves her father obtains some sort of information from a private detective about thomas gives thomas a check and Luce, gives thomas and lucille a check and tells them to leave and break edith's heart before they go so they do so her father is murdered by someone off screen, we don't know who, but Tom sends Edith a letter saying that he broke her heart because her father did not believe that he had the prospects for her. Edith comes back to his arms and her father's death considered an accident. She marries Thomas and moves to his creepy, creepy house on top of some red clay mines in the northern countryside, which is cold and bitter. Mm. Lucille becomes more disturbing. Tom Thomas continues to be to veer wildly between being loving and enigmatic. Strange things begin to happen. Things that shouldn't be there appear. Ghosts are everywhere. And there appears to be another woman involved as Edith finds her things. Edith is Edith Sharp, but somebody else is E Sharp as well. Who is it? Who is Enola Sharp, this strangeness? And slowly, over the course of the film, it's revealed that her friend Alexander has realized that Thomas Sharp is already married. He comes to save her. Edith, through a conveyance of events, realizes that Thomas and Lucille have married and murdered several other women for their money and are about to do the same to her. She is injured. She is poisoned. She cannot figure out what's happening until she sees Thomas and Lucille having a torrid affair. She yells that she realized that now that Thomas was in fact always married to Lucille, who is his wife, and that she was simply scammed, at which Lucille announces that she is in fact also Thomas's sister. They have had an incestuous relationship until children and attempts to kill Edith, just as Alexander shows up to show her. A showdown ensues. Terrible things are revealed. Monstrous things happen. Alexander is stabbed. Edith breaks her leg. But most importantly, Lucille murders Thomas, and Thomas's ghost appears in time to distract Lucille so that way Edith may kill her, and she and Alex limp away from the horror of Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, <laughs> considerably more happens in Crimson Peak than in the other. Yeah, lot, considerably lot. more. Lot. I skipped over yeah. a lot for yeah. the sake of like really had to condense that shit. <laughs> gravity, like there, there's, there's a lot of very ominous things. I really, 
It's also an intensely visual it movie. It's like a very not, visual not movie. To, not to throw shade on the others. Like I said, I think its groundedness is actually an excellent strength in how well, it builds tension. But the like, others is... the, like you said, like the Crimson Peak is a is like an old school production. Yeah, I know. Crimson Peak is also a movie that came out in 2001 and 2015 for Crimson Peak. Mm. And the lamps, yeah. landscape in Hollywood it was vastly different. Because yeah. there's no True. MCU when that movie comes out. Yeah. Um, when two thousand when uh, the others comes out, like the entire like idea mm. of that isn't. It's a dream at that point. So yeah. the others, Nicole Kidman and the others is like that is the best. That's the type of Nicole Kidman role you want. That's what she excels at. Yeah. The sort of repressed, thinly like stretched too tight, emotional cord. Yeah. The- or or there, as the villain about the in, way that she uh, looks. There's something about the way she looks. It's just too white and too right. pale. Like there's just something mm. about her. And also both of these movies, sorry, I have to say, they're both about yes. love and about the way that love is frightening and sick because um, the character of Grace and the others, we find out she murdered yeah. her children um, in, in this terrible fit. That's why they're dead is she murdered her children and then she killed herself when all the servants deserted them and her husband probably died in a war and she's all alone and she she doesn't know what she's going to do and she just has this freak out and kills them and then you look at uh, Crimson Peak and there's this like at the core of it is this sort of incestuous relationship between these two people that were horrifyingly abused as children and they're all that they have. So both of these are about the way that like love makes monsters and heroes of us all. And uh, on top of that, like the others seems to almost be a metaphysical, like it's a gothic horror movie, but it's almost playing mm-hmm. on the fear of death and the sort of like turning the tables on the certainty of religion because religion plays yeah. a huge yeah. aspect well, of- in the others. Yeah. Uh, and one of Grace's last lines, also her name is right. Grace, but one of Grace's last lines in the movie is to, after they realize what they are and and sort of what has happened, is to tell her, the, you know, her ghost daughter, I don't know any more than yeah. you do. Like her daughter asks her, like, the, if we're dead, then where's Limbo? And she's like, I, <laughs> I don't know any, I don't remember the exact line. It's a really good line, though. And she delivers it but, fucking perfectly. Well, but. Part of this is that uh, Grace has over and over and over again, like, told her children of the certainty of, like, death right. and God and hmm. Jesus. Well, like, she's, because one of the, the things is, like, all the all the Bible teaching that she's doing is she's preparing them for their first right. communion. Yeah. And that's also where the, like, creepy dress comes from and all that other stuff, because religion is well, yeah. well yeah no it's like it's just much more metaphysical metaphysical than a ghost mm. movie normally is yeah, yeah. and it's also like there's a like i think the dread comes from a much more primitive place mm. like in terms of like of the well we know this is what happens when you die oh nope yeah guess we don't whereas crimson peak is and much I mean, more it's, it's of a, just... a melodrama with ghosts and incest and blood yeah yeah <laughs> There's there's a, what, the servant who we later find out is a ghost and is trying to sort of like explain like the, the servants initially are kind of trying Ms. to soft Mrs. Mills. to the Mrs. Wait, Mills. The, servants are initially, yeah. the servants are initially kind kind of trying to like soft shoe to this family, like, hey guys, 
you're dead. Like hey, we you also to... haunt this house, so you yeah, know. Yeah, like you need to sort of come to grips with what's going on. Like, like it's very clear at a certain point. Uh, like they like uh, Miss Mills actually turns to Mister Tuttle and the other servant girl and is like, "I am sick of dealing with this lady." <laughs> like she says it like that. Like I am done with her BS. Uh, I have um, I have reached the end of I forgot. Oh, what's the probably I like I've reached my end of my tether or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the it. I've reached the end of my tether. How about you, Mister <laughs> Tuttle? <laughs> yeah, and uh, but she like is sort of trying to shove soft suit to this lady. You might be dead, and she's like, sometimes the world of the living gets mixed up with the world of the dead. And Grace goes like, why would God allow that? And like, there, it, to me, that's a great thing because normally in horror movies, they're like, how can this happen or how can this be real? But Grace goes to a right. different place of not like, I deny this because I deny the existence of the supernatural or ghosts, but mm. I deny this because God would not allow right. this. Mm. That is not what I've been told about the way the world works. And this shakes my understanding of reality. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very sad moment, oh, yeah. actually, in oh, a way, yeah. because Grace has clearly latched on to religion as a way to keep herself together. And Although I'm sorry, I'm talking also, too much. Like, but she's her, already fallen up. No, no, this is great. <laughs> but her children are, are disabled hmm. and they have a pretty terrifying disability that there's a very high likelihood they're going to die young through like right. accident. Like they live in a house full of candles and they can't see sunlight. Like this is a very hard life. And it's unsurprising that a woman who's aware that her children are going to likely die young and alone focuses on their religious teaching because she's like, I don't know if I can prepare them for a future. So I have getting, to prepare right. them for something. I have to prepare them for death. Like, I, I don't know what I can do to prepare them to be adults and be people and leave. I don't think they'll ever be able to leave this house. Hmm. So I must prepare them for to be good Christians in the afterlife. That's at least something that I know I can do, which I think both of these movies have disability eating around the edge right. of them a lot, which I think is really interesting. Um, and the way that like caregiving can be so intense that it drives people over the edge, especially like caregiving with no exactly. support and no help. Like the, yeah. Cause like we, we were talking about this before we started recording uh, because of course, uh, you know, what, why not just take it in the political direction? Because the rest of the world doesn't care. You have to keep your crazy mother alive. Or you have to constantly make sure your children don't burn. But only you do that. Nobody else right. will help you. You have to do it. You have to do it every day. You can't stop. You have to do it. And that's just the way the world works. And, and like I, that breaking people. And I think talking about horror as a feeling of discomfort and despair and the fact that these are both uh, these are both women focused films, but they're very um, high class women focused. Mm. These are women Mm. that have servants and other, you know, is this claustrophobia of there is something I have to do that I can never do wrong. And it is driving me insane, which I think I think is very real. And I. And just the sort of, because um, that's a very oppressive feeling. If if anyone out there has ever had small children, had to be a caregiver for someone who's seriously ill or needs serious care, there's a lot at that moment where you're like, I can't give them what they need. And that sort of feeling of like panic and despair that I think very much fits in with horror. Like there is nothing right. I can do about this feeling well, that the, I feel the, that's so Just terrible. the inescapable panic of being responsible for another person's life in a very immediate way. Well, like, in way. a way, like, this is mm-hmm. sort of, like, 
well-trodden ground in horror movies because The Exorcist, even though mm. it's about possession, mm. is really about there's something the matter with my child and I don't, no one would tell me what to do. Because yeah. the sound design of when they're in the doctor's office is almost more terrifying and uncomfortable than anything else. Um, there's, there's actually a, one of my favorite scenes in The Exorcist is when Reagan's mother is talking i think she's asking for an exorcism and she's wearing these glasses and she's like telling all the things her daughter has been through and she's like i think i need an exorcism and she is this hysterical panic right. in her voice uh, but yeah uh Ember does a really good job of there's a sadness and a dread that sort of like lingers over the others mm. and again nicole kidman's performance is just fantastic Oh yeah, because I mean, like that that movie, like she, that role has to be like thread right. everything. Like not, like not to say that the other, the other, like all the cast does an excellent job, especially the kids, because ki- like kids are the easiest like way to oh, yeah. fuck something up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I think the kids did a great job. But like, yeah, Nicole Kidman, like her. I, yeah, like you were saying before, that like the the way like we we meet her at the beginning of the movie, she's like wait screaming, waking up from from what we think right. is a nightmare, and and just like from that moment, like we we can feel that tension in her through the whole movie, whether she's expressing it directly right. or not. You you very much feel like she gets up in the middle of the night, like throws up, looks in the mirror, and is like, "Keep it together. <laughs> you got to keep it together." Yeah. You got to keep it together, like like two slaps to your face, like keep it <laughs> together, and like that is why she snaps in this yeah. and murders her children in this horrifically violent way. I, I should know. confess that the can't... first half of my life I was very anti Nicole Kidman for some reason, and it's only like in the last five ten years, and I'm like, oh, she's actually really good. Yeah, she's really good. <laughs> um. I don't. I mean, I don't really think I. Aside from her being in Batman Forever, I don't think I knew her for much when I was. That young. that could also be it. Uh, and Batman Forever is, holds a special place in my what? heart. Oh, come on! I, no, I, I think it holds a special place in my heart. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not okay. a dig. I. Okay. I I'm, love Nicole Kidman because she looks like a plastic <laughs> doll. <laughs> like I know that sounds crazy, but I have always love the way that Nicole Kidman like looks unreal. Oh, also, so she got divorced from Tom Cruise in 2001. So the feeling of suffocation <laughs> and panic was really real for her. I bet. <laughs> like, so considering the way production works, she was finalizing her divorce with Tom Cruise while filming the others. It's like, oh, I see where you got yeah. the angst from. Well, I'm pretty sure the movie she did before this was fucking Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise directed by Kubrick. So she probably had a rough yeah. few years leading up to this movie. I'm not gonna lie, a movie where they're like, Do you want to just go to the countryside and like scream endlessly in a dark house? She was like, Yes. <laughs> I can totally do that for money. But yeah, like the, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I, I keep fixating on the others, I think, because it's it's the most new to me. But um like the the th- like you know Crimson Peak is very much a movie about a particular place and and these particular right. people and uh, like you're saying like I feel like the others has a lot more like allegorical dimensions especially since like this isn't a movie about being in this house this is a movie about being in a dark right. house 
isolated. Mm -hmm. Like it is, it is a movie about being in a haunted place, any haunted place. And like the way they use light and dark is just very, very like Spanish. (laughs) That's that's like, I'm going to be honest. Like, like I didn't know when I watched it before, but looking at this, I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I see why this is a Spanish movie. (laughs) Because it's good. <laughs> yeah. Let, um, and like by Spanish, I guess Hispanic would be uh, a better a better term. Um, I don't know. I would say creepy environmental movies. If you want to get a movie that's scary without being just like, you know, hostile, hmm. you either need to get yourself like a Southeast Asian director, Thai, Korean, Japanese, or you can go and get yourself a Spanish speaking. Yeah, director Central and because, South America will also help you. Um, out. Yeah, <laughs> they will serve you well because I don't know why, but those people know fear. Well, huh. I think I know yeah, why. I, uh, hmm. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mystery. Yep. I can't imagine. I wonder why the they know fear. I mean, I will also look. I'll go to bat for Italy. Like Argento's okay, out there. First of all, I think she said uh, hostile, not hostile. And um, I would argue that Italy and some Japanese war is very hostile. <laughs> oh. No, I, I meant like the the. She uh, meant like torture uh, porn, hostile torture porn. Gotcha. Yeah, uh. but oh, I mean, I guess I don't know. Like even when Japan is like, you want to have torture porn? We're also going to make it really intellectual. Uh. Oh no, this is the worst of both worlds. Oh, I don't want to watch on Eli Roth today because I mean, I, I don't have anything. Off I don't. Top my that's head, why I'm moving on to Crimson Peak. Uh, there. Scared of audition. Uh, so I loved Crimson uh, Peak, and this is going to sound mm. weird. I wasn't a big mm-hmm. fan of Mia Wasikowska. Oh, the yeah, uh, I could. I suppose I could see that. I mean, like she's good like casting someone to be. Yeah, casting someone to be your like every woman right. innocent is a tough one to land. And if I were ranking like my favorite performances, and I don't know though. I mean, especially in the end, I feel like she she brings it together pretty Honestly, solidly. Honestly, I feel like she's the weakest when she's supposed to be the innocent yes. ingenue at the beginning of the yes. film. Yes, and then once like it's great because like once she's married and she's in this horror house, then the fact that she has this sort of aura of calm thinking competence mm. makes her really right. compelling. But yeah, she still yeah, has yeah. that aura of calm thinking competence. Like, I don't know how you could be dumb enough to fall for right. this guy. And chill you. I mean, I mean, I'm dumb enough to fall for Tom Hiddleston, but I also really like that. She's, um, she's kind of sexually aggressive. Like there's one part where she talks about how her husband is respecting her space when they were traveling all the way from America right. to England, which is like, months and then um they have this uh sexual encounter where they're essentially um they're visiting town a snowstorm kicks up and they end up sort of stuck in the small room in town and they have this sexual interaction where she essentially hits on her (laughs) husband and he finally has sex with her and it's very clear that he like performs oral sex on her and then she is on top having sex with him i'm like first of all this indicates a woman who is neither afraid nor either is practically or studying knowledgeable about sex but also it's her in a dominant right. position for kind of both of these which i think is something that del toro very specifically is like i want a love scene and i don't want it to be about look at looking at this oh woman get look fucked. at this innocent person right. blah, blah. yeah he's yeah. like no he's like i want her to be a young like, woman getting it 
Well, yeah, <laughs> which is why Tom Hiddleston's butt is in it. He has a great interview about Del Toro being oh, like, yeah. because, hey, buddy, time to get those pants <laughs> off. Because um, he has the, the Spanish lisp. Um, honestly, I think that's you bring that up because for me, the movie kicks in at that hour mark. Because the movie's like two hours long. Yeah, yeah I can see and that. Like the, it's not that the first half is bad, but it requires a lot from her that for me, it doesn't like come mm. across. But then the moment they get to that house and the performance starts getting ratcheted up a little, I'm like, oh, I see why they hired you. A, you, mm-hmm. a, yeah. you carry off those insane dresses like normal, and that's a talent. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to deny Half the reason why Once Upon a Time the show works is because Lana Perea wears those insane outfits like she chose them out of a closet. <laughs> now, there's a show I've yeah, uh, seen in a very disappointing. long time. I would... <laughs> It only draws you <laughs> in with hope, and then it never like haze off the yeah. hope. <laughs> but yeah, no, like the sound, the production design, and everything. Like it was really weird because, like, first half of Crimson Pink, I was like, "Am I bored in a Del Toro movie? No, this can't be." Well, like that's the thing is, like, he really takes his time oh, yeah. in this because he doesn't like he he's making a gothic like romance horror film, and like. I, I understand why in this fallen world a lot of people just didn't like click with this movie because you know I I I, I get it it's fine <laughs> but like after all of that setup like it oh, pays, pays off, off. it pays off Not so that, good like good move buddy <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. Everything about that house oh, design. Yeah. Like I want I want every piece of production material. I just I just oh. want I want to see that house from every possible angle. It's amazing. Let let me share something with you as we are watching this movie. Mm. And uh uh I forget which one of the actresses walked on screen. I'm like, oh I just want to look like her. Well it was it was when it was when uh Lucille was chasing Edith down into the catacombs. And uh, they had already sort of had their initial fight near uh, near the climax, and uh, were Edith was getting out her big butcher thing, and uh, or not not Edith got Lucy Lucy was getting out her big butcher knife, and Edith was like hiding among the stuff in the clay caverns, and uh, yeah, and then and I was like, yeah, I, I want to look like I want to look like her, and Thais is like, really, I want to look like the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's another thing. Like once you're up against Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain, who I had. Oh, oh uh, man! Oh, they they uh, sell it so hard. I love it when Jessica Chastain gets oh. to go big. <laughs> she does. She does, and she like she can do every like Jessica Chastain. Like speaking of act, like this is a great this is a great episode to talk about actresses who can just <laughs> rule. Get it? Because uh, like Jessica Chastain, I think this this like came out around the same time as um, Interstellar. Um, mm-hmm. no, yes. No, um, like not, 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 not around the exact same time, but I mean, like 2014 was Interstellar. Interstellar came out like before. And, and so like, I, I just remember because like these were two movies that I was really into and just like, like she just makes everything. Yeah, no, because 2014 is when the most violent year in Interstellar came out and I love the most violent year. And I remember being pissed at Nolan because he wouldn't let her do campaigning he, for the Oscars for yeah. the most violent year 
I'm such a sucker for Nolan shtick, but he seems to be just an asshole in in the in like real life. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no. Um, yeah. I think honestly, it's really hard because these movies I feel like are on the same level. Even mm-hmm. though, like that one issue I have, and I don't even think mm-hmm. it's like I don't give my critique that much credence because we're in the middle of a pandemic, so we watch movies a little bit differently. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell. Uh, are you saying that movies about a suffocating atmosphere of inescapability and the knowledge that you will be trapped, unable to be helped, caregiving for someone who is dying in yeah. your arms uh, <laughs> strikes maybe a little too close yeah. to home yeah, as yeah. you live in your rotting house that you can't escape from wearing clothes that have no meaningful purpose? Well, I don't live in a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, wait, The Martian came out in 2015. That was the one that she was also in. She was okay. in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like in the first oh, yeah. Three. <laughs> Man, The Martian oh, was God, really yes. good, too. Okay, if I don't want to get distracted, talk to <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, um, because this is one thing, not only that, but, like, if it's a slow pace, you just might not be emotionally mm-hmm. in a, or intellectually in the yeah. headspace. Because I know Coy and I have talked about it sometimes. We're like, this seems really smart. I don't want smart right now. <laughs> Give me something stupid. Yeah, no, I, I hang out on streams with uh, with some of my my friends from Missouri now and then. Uh, just the, them watching just trash movies or weird like YouTube things, and just like yes, that <laughs> it's good. Can I say one one thing though that actually that I think that the people might find a little bit of satisfaction okay. in these films mm-hmm. is so most horror movies uh, don't end. They have a final jump scare at the end or the monster is still out there or whatever to like open up room for a sequel or for like the horror to continue to exist in some way. Or just to get a cheap final scare. <laughs> yeah. But what what I think is great about both of these movies is that they end they end with sorrow because the dead are still dead. What has happened has right. still happened. Like people are scarred and changed and in some ways, you know, ruined. But they do end. And there is a place that if you want to, you can sort of move on afterwards. And I think that there is something very satisfactory about a film that ends. Mm. It is over. You have everything you need. And now you need to come to grips with what has happened that I think is something that people can use. Like, mm. these are some of the few scary movies I can watch because they do end and I am not afraid of things under right. my Right, and not only that, but like, it's one of the things where like, it's very popular now with comic book movies for things not to end. And it's one of the things mm. where like, it's really satisfying to watch a movie that. that has an end. I mean, hell, that was, I, I wonder how much, like, it was also a great movie, but, like, Logan got to yeah. end. Like, <laughs> that was what, like, there was a lot of good stuff in that movie, but one of the great things about it is it ended. Well, yeah, if you notice, like, the comic book movies I love are the ones that are, like, it ends. Done. Oh, yeah. Moved on. Like, they can be a sequel, but this is a movie unto itself. <laughs> Give That's me a story. That's why the John movies, I feel, are I mean, even though the John Wick movies leave an open end, hmm. the story that they were telling in that moment. It's like an end of a chapter. Well, I like the fact, yeah, yeah. That, I was just going to say, I like that they call them chapters as they've gone forward because it's very much like this self-contained chunk is done. And then the next part. It's not like happen. he's evolving as a character because it's John Wick. No. <laughs> 
the whole point of John Wick is that he was already John Wick when we got <laughs> the there. whole point of John Wick is he was John Wick before the movie started. He was John Wick during the movie, and now that the movie's over, he's still John Wick. Yeah. Uh, still Wicken. Yeah. I will give okay. anything in the like world I'm- if the fourth John Wick movie is called John Wick Four Still Wicken. <laughs> Yay. Uh, but uh I don't know, Jeremiah, do you do you feel that these were um uh worthy collections of your of your brain space, these films? Are you are you pleased with what Thaddeus and I yeah, have? Yeah, no, watched? no, no. I really like mm. them. I like the I like the old house ty- uh subgenre of horror movies. Yeah, me too. Uh, I I realized as I was watching these that I I need to see more of this genre because like I can't pull a lot right. to mind. Well, and I like them every I time. I reviewed it for the site, and I recommended to you guys The Old Dark House. Oh, it's an yeah, old yeah, 1934 yeah. Uh, Universal movie by the same guy, James Whale, same guy did Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And it's basically mm. like the prototype for these types of movies. Um, yeah, yeah. It's almost like a radio play on film in terms of like, there's a lot of buildup, and then once the reveal is like, oh. But that's yeah. what... That's what <laughs> I actually also... I haven't watched it yet, but I picked up from the library um, The Innocence, which is another movie that's based on The Turn of yes. the Screw. Um, which I... Uh, well, actually, well, I read The Turn of the Screw in one of my uh, uh, grad school classes, and uh, the the professor recommended it to me, and I haven't watched it yet, but I, I remembered it as we were... The latest me. adaptation of The Turning of uh, Turning the Screw, The Turning, with Mackenzie yeah. Davis, yeah. is actually really good. The ending sucks. Yeah, yeah, you were telling me that. I think, uh, like, when you watched it and reviewed it, I like, I, I remember being kind of like, oh, I was so hyped for that, and now I'm a little bit less, but you still kind of. I mean, if you like it. that type of movie, you should totally see it, and like, you'll know once it starts to happen. Like, I can turn it off here. <laughs> I don't even know what happens. Oh, that's that's unfortunate, but also kind of good, I guess. Uh, but I think there's uh, also something like universal about being like something creepy about a house at night mm. simply because you do hear a lot of sounds you don't know what's going on and the history of objects is i think something that we are as a species fascinated with Mm. there is um i know i know that in this space we talk about movies (laughs) but um but i I, look okay i know i'm me but I, i do try uh, but there's a uh, uh, a very uh, it's like an independent video game called uh, Anatomy by a, a developer uh, called uh, Kitty Horror Show <laughs> that is just like it's this little short game where you walk through a house and you collect like cassette tapes and the cassette tapes creepily narrate to you this idea of like. Uh, a house itself become like it's uh, uh, an abandoned house's feelings of abandonment, like turning into something horrible. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I really vibe with it. And uh, I, I recommend it for anyone who likes a, a short little wander around and have scary stuff, like quietly whispered at you uh, through grainy audio type <laughs> game. I would suggest perception. You haven't finished that yet. I can't. It's too frightening. <laughs> I like how you're like, you can't recommend that. You are not done with it. 
I, I, it was a Kickstarter I kickstarted years ago. The plot of the game is that you're a blind girl trying to go through a house, and the only way you can do it is you have to bang on things, which creates this kind of like a daredevil sonar right. effect. But there is something in the house that comes looking for you when you bang on things mm. that you have to hide from. Um, that sounds interesting. <laughs> It's terrifying. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I pivoted um, into the video game. There's a couple of movies from the 80s, House and House 2. Oh, the, this isn't the Japanese No, no, one, no, so. these are American movies. Okay. House 2 stars George Went, otherwise known as Norm from Cheers. Huh. I'm sorry, I have to say House and House 2, the housening. No, it's House 2, the second okay. story. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm not joking, Boo. that's the actual subtitle. Boo! Okay, I'm sorry. No, hold on. The second one has John Rassenberger, who's Cliff from Cheers. The first one oh, has okay. Norm from Cheers. They're actually quite fun. <laughs> How dare you? Um, all right. Is it? Uh, I'll have to. I'll have to look into that. I can't. I'm, I'm. I've been like racking my brain, and I like. Uh, I. I. I can see like snippets of weird haunted house movies that I like caught pieces of on cable when I was a, a kid that I've never found out what they were, and uh, I. Yeah, I can't think of other ones to recommend off the top of my head. Not only that, okay, that first house also has Bull from Night Court. Ooh. But we're off topic. Are we? Uh- <laughs> Are we? <laughs> is are there we, a though? topic? Is there a point, or are we just here? <laughs> yeah, well, welcome exactly. to United are States. We dead? Mm-hmm. Are we also dead? Probably. To be honest, if someone's like Kara, you've been dead for the past year. I'd be like, Christ, thank God. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're all the- we're all but- haunted now. <laughs> Well, I, I love those movies where, like, at the end, the characters find out I'm dead and this is hell, and they're like, "Oh no!" On the other hand, it'd be like, "Yeah." Oh, there's so much sense. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing I can do about any of this. It's okay if I just stay in my house and. I don't know. I'm like, oh wow, hell is just more exhausting than I thought it'd be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, does this mean I wait? Does this mean I get to stop going to work, or do I have <laughs> to keep going to work? Like, can it get worse? Like, that's my first question. Is like, can hell get worse, or does it have like a draw point? Uh, All right. Um, so, I enjoyed Others in Crimson Peak on par. I think, in a way, like the two similar movies, but two different vibes. Hmm. Um, I think mm-hmm. the others is probably a little bit more intense or more like creepy, while yeah. Crimson Peak is much more delightfully demented i would say that that uh the others is more uh horrifying and crimson peak is much more yes. gothic <laughs> yes uh, I, and definitely crimson the 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 center point of the others is isolation and the center point of crimson peak is definitely that it is fundamentally yeah. a romance hmm. a romance between who uh, oh oh uh, yeah. uh I do want to point out one thing, though, is so the others I would strongly recommend to people that don't deal with blood and guts and violence and broken bones and stuff like that. Well, if you want to watch a scary movie that isn't uh, physical, just Mm -hmm. mental, and it doesn't have like some people say that about like seven and things like there is isn't even like off screen suggestions of like human relation. It's just 
scary ghost movie. Wait, wait. It's just Everyone emotional says there's no trauma. gore in seven. Uh, it's not on screen. But it's still on. You see the aftermath. Yeah, it's the same time, you see I'm like, the yeah, but it's not like watching somebody be flayed on screen. Like you see the right. after effects of it. Oh yeah, we should watch Hellraiser again. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we um, but uh, the others is good for that. I do want to point out that Crimson Peak is still a Del Toro movie, and he is a practical effects horror dude. So there are parts where people get stabbed, and you see it go into their skin, and then you see them pull out the stabbing. Oh, he's so good at it. <laughs> it, it. It makes me like twitch even just hearing it described. It's so good. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, like, I have to blurp, which is like when I have to cover my eyes and go hurt. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like but, um, we we were watching. Carrie, you may want to cover your ears for this. We were, yeah. uh, we were watching the end of the movie uh, of Crimson Peak, and like the bit where where Lucille like grabs the <laughs> knife that Edith is trying to stab her with, and it's just this very like it's there's a lot of blood, but it's not overstated. And then like Kara, and then like a moment after that, I was just like doing a thing where it's like, oh man, the practical effects of this, like it's. Uh, the way that he walks that line where it's gory, but not over the top. And uh, I started describing it again. And Caro, just hearing it described again, got ill. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. It's, yeah. Uh... It, so I would say, because um, you can look away during those moments or like mm. cover your eyes. And you can clearly anticipate. You'll still going. hear it. You'll hear it. Oh, my God. Whoever Del Toro's sound mixer is, oh. is a man that loves or woman who loves their work. Well, Del Toro's like, hey, buddy, I need you to make the noise of, like, <laughs> walking in snow and then the squishy noise as they die. The guy's like, I got you. Got you, friendo. Like, can you make the noise of a pin stabbing somebody in the lung? You bet. Yes. Bet. Hashtag. I have that one already. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Hobbies. But, um... Yeah, if, if you're if you have poor reactions to like like people being stabbed and stuff, like be careful with Crimson Peak. But again, it's not the the open flame of Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't whatever, celebrate but... it. It is merely it is it is very viscerally there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he doesn't try to make violence sexy or pretty. He makes it what it is, which is brutal and sad. Like that's sort of why I think that his the the violence in his films is so good because it is brutal and sad the way violence is and that's what makes you uncomfortable hmm. brutal and sad the theme of this podcast <laughs> the, uh, excuse me I believe you mean this uh, year yeah uh, uh, okay, so that's all the time we have for now uh, next time we come back we will be doing continuing our Antifa propaganda discussion and we're going to be looking at the Ooh. big short and too big to fail was an HBO made for TV yeah. movie. And, you know, uh, until then, look up some of those paintings that guy kept doing of Banks on Fire. <laughs> good times. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Spooky noises.